meditation, 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 meditation. depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice, calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Transforming Aggression. In this episode, we discuss meditation as a revolutionary method for transforming our aggression. What happens when we interrupt this powerful habitual pattern? Today we are joined by Laura Sims. Laura is an award-winning performer, writer, and educator, advocating storytelling as compassionate action for personal and community transformation. She performs worldwide, combining ancient myth and true-life story for adult and family audiences. As a spokesperson for storytelling, she presents keynotes and workshops in conferences, villages, schools, universities, and community events. She's a member of the Therapeutic Arts Alliance of Manhattan and a senior teacher of Shambhala Buddhist Meditation. Here's Laura to take away the discussion. Working as I do so much in um, displaced persons camps and New York City and Newark schools, aggression is um, something I seem to be working with a lot, both in myself and um, witness of But I was thinking that perhaps really in all of our lives, particularly speeded up and so constantly aware of the news and being here in Manhattan so close to each other, that probably it really is a remarkable um, source for our practice is the presence in our lives in an old world of aggression. Do you agree with that? I was thinking um, basically that the meditator's path is a very different approach to aggression, sort of distinguishedly so, from many other solution-driven ways in which we are taught to respond to aggression or think about aggression in our everyday lives. And so I wanted to talk about what is specifically unique and really challenging and fundamentally workable about the way in which we are invited to bring aggression onto the path and basically transform it into wisdom and compassion. Is that of interest? (laughs) So in, in our meditation study, which is really the, um, necessary other wing here, that we have the practice and also their study. And they are both really feed and support each other because 
the more that we study or the more that we engage in talks like this and conversations, the more we are reminded of why we're practicing and how to use our practice and the motivation to continue to practice. But what is really different, I think, about being a meditator is that we are being asked not to get rid of, not to suppress, reject, ignore, or indulge in aggression. So you'd say, well, what other option is there? (laughs) So that's what we're going to talk about. Because the not getting rid of it is really key. So what we're being asked to do is literally to look at our aggression, to stay with it rather than get rid of it. And by doing that, really come to know it. In a sense, come to know the contrast between our what happens to our minds when we experience aggression and what happens when our minds seem more peaceful. And through that activity of looking, which is a lot of what we're doing when we're sitting on the cushion, we're looking at our mind, rather than just identifying with our thoughts and actions and emotions. There's some space that we are beginning to uncover that inherently allows us to see, to look, to feel with intelligence and some patience. Making sense? And so the Immediacy of aggression, whether it's very subtle aggression, like you suddenly find that you've been walking around the house for 45 minutes angry at somebody. <laughs> it's like, and then you sort of wake up and think, what's that about? But actually, in the middle of it, somehow it almost, almost feels good. It almost feels strong. It certainly is captivating. And it really consumes time. It devours time. And it almost feels as if it's justified to devour devour time because it feels like there's a reason behind it. It's powerful and it's true. And that could be very subtle or very gross, but then the more grosser, more obvious aggression, when we suddenly flare up enraged or infuriated with somebody, and it may be for the most ludicrous reason, particularly with someone we're intimate with who just doesn't have their glasses on correctly, (laughs) or someone we really don't like, and we were expecting this all along. Or someone who is violent or abusive or is actually coming at us in some unkind and unjust way. 
And so the reaction can be very, very gross. And so there is aggression that we have toward others, and there's aggression we have to ourselves. There's also aggression that we feel comes at us or we experience about situations, organizations, systems, the state of our life, the state of our bank account. So there's lots of reasons and different qualities to what stirs up or triggers or provokes or somehow sneakily invokes and pierces us with aggression. But regardless of whether it's subtle or it's very gross, something happens to our mind when we experience aggression, which feels at the moment so uncomfortable that there is a a belief that if we could act out on it, if we could actually express it, we could get rid of it. Or it would feel really good to just tell that person what I think. And as I said before, it feels very powerful, some kind of power in being able to do that, some kind of justification. But from the point of view of a meditator observing the mind, the experience of the reactivity of aggression, identifying wholly with our reaction, with our trigger, with this flame, with this uproar, actually is narrowing our mind. Because we focus solely in that energy. And there is no space for looking at the context or causes or conditions of the situation itself, or really reflecting on the possible ramifications of the anger for yourself and other. It's actually a form of shutting down. And I think even if we're not practiced meditators, we all have that experience somewhat. The aftertaste of aggression makes us feel exhausted and somewhat shredded. Have you had that experience? And sometimes the sort of unconscious direct impulse in a situation where you flare up changes everything in the room. It actually ruins the room. Whether or not we feel justified... So that quality of reactivity is limited in intelligence and in scope. It is the full identification with the emotion and then the fire. The logs on the fire are storylines and thoughts about 
what we're going to say and how we're going to say it. And it feels as if in the middle of it, it's clarity itself. But because it lacks the full view and intelligence, it is not actually a full quality of clarity. Is this making sense to you? But we forget that because we almost have been taught that if we scream, if we yell, if we prove that we're right, even to someone who we know it is completely futile <laughs> to have this explanation or seeming explanation, but actual sort of hammering out what we think they should understand. Now, I know none of you have ever done that. That quality leaves us weakened in some way. And it also is almost like a drug. It almost feeds on itself, and we want to keep the anger stoked so we could spend days, and some people spend lifetimes, involved in plots to get back, to prove a point, to just shut down, as if by shutting down and isolating ourselves, we will be victorious. And it's very annoying when you meet that person and they didn't realize that you were angry. <laughs> Is this making sense? I'm putting all of this in because it's the quality of working with aggression as a meditator is about actually being able to be aware of the anger or the fury or the reactivity or the shutting down as it's happening. And instead of it being so irritating and so uncomfortable that you want to get rid of it or you just want to like throw yourself into it like a swimming pool of aggression. We actually have the space to sometimes even say, wow, I'm really angry. And to take a look, not at particularly the content or the justification, but at the immense energy and how it is shaping our mind at that moment. So when we're sitting, the very, um, this kind of odd technique we have <laughs> of... Occasionally remembering in the middle of thinking while we're sitting here in this room that, oh, I'm thinking, is the first step in working with aggression because at that moment we actually unfix ourselves from what is our fundamental habit to go with the thoughts as if it's the only show in town. So when we unfix for a second, <sighs> so
suddenly we have access to experiencing what has been there all the time, this kind of natural territory or natural, unconditional experience. doesn't really have a definition, but it is a felt sense and we all know it. So as that gets more familiar in our lives and we have some teachings about aggression, we can dare in the middle of an argument with somebody, you're about to prove your point. (laughs) You can actually almost go back to zero and breathe. and simmer with the energy of your own reaction and make friends with it. It is our precious energy. And if we get rid of it or suppress it or reject it, then we're engines running on less pistons. This is our energy, and there is no um, nothing, no problem with anger. The problem for us is that it instantly becomes aggression toward ourself or others. So the second step of looking at it, becoming familiar, as familiar with the experience of the aggression as with space and thoughts, then begins to give us a bigger view. We could see somebody. I had an argument with my son, and um, he was (laughs) really hammering several points that he felt were really important, and I was just getting furious. And being a faux Buddhist, I pretended to not be annoyed at it, (laughs) which was my subtle, aggressive revenge. (laughs) But I suddenly couldn't even hear it because I was so involved in this activity of shutting down. So I kind of breathed. And then I just saw his fear, his anger, his love and confusion, and I just listened. And I did the hard thing for Jewish Buddhists to do. (laughs) Was I forsake, forsook, my need to be right. (laughs) And really what happened is the space opened and then we had a conversation and I didn't have to refer to it. Every fiber in my body really wanted to, to be honest. (laughs) But so what? And I felt actually really grateful for my practice because I felt strong, a different kind of strength. 
Zigokang Chirimbache says that our need to blame other or to be right or to reject other is to actually place them on the other side of the fence as if there is a fence. And that it even makes it hard for us to use our intelligence in situations to know when a situation is not good for us and to, with skill and kindness toward ourselves and, if possible, toward the other in the moment, to walk away. Or to know what to do in the situation because we will not be calling on this habitual energy, but we'll be calling on the nature, essence of the energy, which has in it insight, compassion, immediacy, intelligence, and big view. Is this helpful? So, we have a place that we can go back to even just remembering. And we have a practice of when we are aware of our thinking to go back to the breath. So it is almost as if we could do that on the spot without losing a sense of being present. So these, this is actually a very advanced practice. So... It's more about becoming familiar with this territory of working with aggression, transforming aggression. From a Buddhist point of view, the opposite of aggression is wisdom. And the practice of working with aggression produces patience. And patience is a very rich activity. It is calm in the sense of there being abiding presence, but it's very alive. It's not just this kind of tough it out forbearance, but it is giving space and letting things unfold. I'm not talking about the emergency when somebody is coming at you with a knife, but even in that case, our mind practiced will instantly produce insight rather than panic. Once Trungpa Rinpoche at a seminary about two o'clock in the morning giving a talk said that, the, that if we could rest in panic and not name it panic, zzz, that we would experience bliss. <laughs> so the practice of looking at our minds, of becoming familiar with our minds, is incredibly practical. And we begin to understand why we're practicing. Because an act of aggression, which might seem justified in the moment, not only harms other, but it harms ourselves tremendously. 
the energy of anger can then be really fierce compassion. It can act directly or it can pull back without shutting down. And that's the skillful means that is not like there, this happens because of that. It's that at that moment, we can call upon intelligence. It just happens because the mind or awareness is more available. And we've talked in this Dharma gathering over the years a great deal about the difference between the Hinayana or what's called the narrow path or the what we're, most of us are doing, which is sitting and practicing, really trying to focus and remember to place our mind on our breath, the impossible mission. And that practice actually just naturally opens us up to more awareness because we begin to relax and begin to see beyond ourselves It's a natural thing because the space that we are accessing is big I, E-Y-E. So we can really um, attempt to not judge ourselves or blame ourselves, but actually take an attitude of exploring and looking Because the real practice begins when we experience, when we take the time to look and experience the contrast between aggression and when we're not feeling aggression. And our, you know, we've been taught a lot to be very polite or stuff it. (laughs) Some of us. Um, So that doesn't help us really. In the end, that stuffing it just implodes somewhere else. So we're working in some ways with harvesting the energy and diffusing the storylines so that we're working more and more with what's actually happening. It becomes more clear. So I wanted to tell you a story. And um, that's what I do. And I found this story. um, I really like reading. um, There's several American Buddhist teachers, more in the Mahayana than Vajrayana school. Um, And we very much are in the Vajrayana sort of Shambhala lineage here at the Shambhala Center. But there are a lot of really great meditative teachers who are also great therapists who have been writing about um, meditation practice, like Jack Kornfield and um, Mark Epstein. These are wonderful authors. And also their examples are really great and really helpful because they're working with themselves. They were hippies bopped off to India in the 60s and early 70s where they came upon practice and um, also are dealing with hundreds and hundreds of people all the time. So they're very, very helpful to read. 
But this is a story that Mark Epstein told and said he heard from Jack Cornfield about a man who was in prison. You, you following it so far? <laughs> Good, okay. And uh, <laughs> checking. And a friend came to visit him and brought him a gift of a prayer rug. And the man in prison was furious. And he said, you know, you could have like baked me a cake with a knife in it or hit a hacksaw, but what am I going to do with a rug? And so his friend just gave the rug and left it. And there was the prisoner in his cell with this beautiful woven, embroidered, patterned prayer rug. So, you know, you have a lot of time when you're in prison. And so he began to look at the rug. And first he really liked the colors, and then he began to see the patterns and the weave. And then he really kept looking and looking. And you know when you really look, and then you look, and then you look, you actually see. And he noticed that in the very center of it was a small design that was a, like a replica of the insides of the lock on his prison door. And so he picked the lock in the rug and was immediately liberated. I like these Sufi stories because they're, they're not exactly logical. It's not my strong point. But I love that because I think that we are like that prisoner. And we look and we look, and that's what distinguishes our practice. We're looking rather than judging, which we might be doing, but then we become aware of the fact we're judging. <laughs> oh, and the part of us that's aware that we're judging or the part of us that's aware that we're angry is not involved in the anger. So suddenly we've tricked ourselves because there's a little more space. So if you're on the train and you're really getting annoyed, you're in the taxi cab. The guy was earlier and the guy overshot by half a block and I wasn't paying attention anyway. So um, I was about to bite his head off actually. <laughs> then I remembered the talk I was giving. <laughs> because there's something about being in a taxi cab that feels like, you know, you can just blow your head off and anybody else or in a car when you're driving. So it's a good place to practice. And suddenly I just sort of stopped and I just said, um, I think you've gone too far. And he started to blast me and say, you should have told me. And so I burst out laughing. <laughs> and, and so he just stopped and turned around and smiled. And I gave him a huge tip. I said, thanks. This was really good. <laughs> and he said, you made my day. <laughs> so that's... That's what I wanted to talk about. That the aggression is not fixed. 
We can unfix our grasping and total identity with it. And in the beginning, if you suddenly realize that you're triggered or you're angry, even when you're alone in the house, you could actually even say out loud, oh, how interesting, I'm angry. And give yourself a chance because it is you who are angry. Whether, you know, I love that thing when somebody says, but he made me angry. He only made you angry if indeed you became angry. So this investigation is prime protection. How interesting. Huh. Ooh, I can feel it. It's our energy. It transforms. It can become our wisdom. I think we should stop and have a snack. Have a non-aggressive food fight. Anyway, I, I thank you, and I always hope that, um, that these talks are helpful and provide more motivation for conversation and study and practice so that all together we could discover how we can subversively <laughs> make a, a more enriching and uh, peaceful world. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. Check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.